We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study and to look at your word. And we ask you to guide and lead as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things with dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commended the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we'll stop there. <laughs> it starts out with therefore, which refers back to the previous chapter, which is talking about the plainness and the clearness of the gospel as opposed to the law. The fact that the fullness of Christ was there, that we have glory, to, that we grow glory to glory. And then he goes on from that statement. He says, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And this is Paul talking because he says he's gotten mercy. And we think about all the things that he's gone through in his travels. He keeps getting chased out of every town. He has shipwrecks. He has all kinds of opponents. He gets beat. And he goes, because we have mercy, we faint not. We do not collapse. And I love Paul's attitude toward all of this. He says, no matter what I go through, I'm going to be going forward, not because of his own strength, he says, but because of God's mercy. And we as Christians have that same place where we need to just have God's mercy and faint not. And too many Christians faint. You know, I've seen so many people that don't finish well for God. They, they kind of just faint along the side and, and give up. And usually they'll cite all the reasons. You know, this came against them, that came against them. You know, Paul had great reasons to, to quit. You know, most people would have quit if they were going through what he does, what he's gone through. But he says, we don't, and verse 2 says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience of the, in the sight of God. He says, we have renounced the hidden things, the things that are not seen, the secret things. In other words, secret sins. <laughs> and he goes, secret sins of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. He goes, we're not making things up. We're not trying to make people believe things. We're not trying to be, you know, cause trickery. We're not trying to bamboozle people. He goes, we are walking with honesty and not handling the word of God deceitfully or in a way that brings uh, shame or misuse of it. And unfortunately, in our day and age, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches are, are handling God's word deceitfully. Uh, the, the world handles it deceitfully when they try to make it say other things that are out, you know, that are out there. We've got groups that tell you that you know, homosexuality is okay, and this is okay, and that's okay, and God's word does not say those things, and they're not handling it honestly. And Paul says, we're not, we're not doing that. 
which made him very popular, of course. That's why he's being chased out of all these towns is because he won't make God's word say anything but what it says. And we see that there's, there are churches out there where the word of God is handled properly, where people aren't going to make it say whatever just so they can be popular. And a lot of our televangelists you know, try to make it say what it will make them popular and people look at them popularly in policy. And we're not going to do that. You know, and then he goes, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, he goes, we're going to give the truth and we're going to give it flesh. We're going to make it stand out. And this is what I love about Paul's writing. He says, I'm not giving up. And we read Acts and we say, look at all that Paul went through. Uh, yeah, and I don't know that I could go through what Paul went through and stay, and stay faithful. I hope that I would, but you know, he went through a whole lot of trial but he also deserved the trial. And I think that's what he was looking at. He started out by persecuting Christians. So when he went through all this trouble, he probably was just assuming, I am reaping what I sowed. I, am, I, I gave all this hassle to everybody and now I'm getting it back. And so he may have just said, you know, I'm reaping what I'm sowing. You know, the, but the apostles in general all had the same comment. Thank God he found us worthy of suffering for him. And I think Paul also has that. I'm suffering for Christ. I'm, I've got a reward coming to me. But I think also there was a lot of, you know, I'm getting, you know, I sowed this and now I'm getting it back. And he says, but we, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And conscience is that ability to discern right from wrong, commending the right and condemning the, the wrong. And Paul said, we're going to just let people judge according to their conscience. And this is the great thing about giving God's word. When we give the gospel out to people, it resonates with their conscience. Even if they've seared their conscience, it resonates. I am a sinner. I am lost. I need to, need to do something else other than what I've been doing. And Paul says he's you know, in the sight of God. Verse 3 says, but if our gospel is hid... It is hid to them that are lost. In other words, we give the message out, and this is what I tell everybody, our job is to give the message. Our job is not to be accountable for how people receive it. Because if they are lost and they're going to be lost and not, respect, you know, not come to God, the gospel is going to be hid. They're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand the word. They're not going to understand the gospel. And for most of us, before we became saved, we would read the Bible and it would mean nothing to us. I've heard this over and over from people. You know, they, they get saved and instantly they're going, the Bible means something. I've never been able to get so much out of the Bible. You know, and they get excited. But Paul says here, the gospel's hid. If they're lost and they're not being moved on by the Holy Spirit at that time, it just kind of goes over their head. Uh, and they don't understand it, don't want to understand it, won't understand it. And you know, we go through this. When we witness to people, I find this over and over. I witness to somebody... And you're going, well, do you understand? Nope, don't understand a word you've said. I'm going, okay. Well, they don't. And they don't. Because they'll say, well, the Bible is hard to read. I said, no, it isn't. It's got the point. Because it's hidden to those who don't believe. Mm -hmm. And there isn't. And there's no real confusion and no real complication on it when God's light shines on it. But because it is so foreign to the mind of the lost person, even though there are no big words, you know, not too many big words, but you know, fairly simple, 
because it is so foreign to them they can't comprehend it. And we've talked about this where Christians will say God loves the person and hates the sin and we can understand that. The lost world doesn't understand that statement because they don't separate the two entities. You know, you are what you do in their, in, in their mind so they can't separate the sin or the activity of the person from the person. And they don't understand how we can. And it is hard because the flesh doesn't want to. Once the spirit takes over our mind, it becomes a, a simpler thing. When the spirit applies what he says in the word to us, it becomes a simple thing to understand. Because the Bible is full of things that are contrary to the flesh. Extremely contrary to the flesh. So if I'm judging everything according to the flesh, I will not understand the word of God. I will not even accept the word of God because it's so contrary. But when the spirit is in me and the spirit is saying, here, we're going to make this sound you know, correct to you because now you're thinking differently. You're no longer in the, in the world. You're now in God's kingdom. And the, we speak different language. We think differently. And all of a sudden, things just make sense because God is changing us. And that's what Paul said. To the lost, <laughs> it's all hidden. The gospel message is hidden. And then he goes on to explain Verse 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And this is literally actually two parts. We have the flesh that doesn't want to understand, and then we have Satan adding to that issue and saying he's blinding us beyond. And this is why... A lost person is never going to understand the truth of God completely. They'll understand glimpses of it. And even when somebody gets saved, you know, when we get saved, we don't understand even the smallest portion of what we're doing. All we're recognizing is that I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, and Jesus died for me. And that's about as much as we're going to understand when we get saved. You know, and you know, I've, I've mentioned this many times. Salvation is such a broad issue. You could study nothing but salvation for 80, 90, 100 years and still never get to know everything there is about salvation and yet it's so simple that anybody can get saved. You know, but we don't understand the full scope of what God has done and we never will. You know, we'll never really fully understand the how does the sacrifice of Jesus pay for the sins of the world and yet it does because he was the perfect sacrifice that God accepts. And, you know, that in and of itself is a study that can be done forever. Much less, how does our life change when we get saved? And God makes such great changes. I've, and that's one of the things I talk to people about. You know, when you are saved, God is, you know that God has made something changed in your life. Whether it's taking away a sin out of your life or giving you a love for the word that you never had before or giving you a love for church, whatever it might be, there's a change in your life that's very tangible that says... This happened. And for me, it was two, two well, actually three things, but I've, I'd always wanted to go to church, but he gave me a love for God's word, and he took away my temper. Yeah. So I know he made two big changes in my life when I got saved. But Satan blinds us, lest, he says, Paul says, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them. Yeah. And this is something that's so wonderful. Once we get to know God, his light shines in us. His, he opens the word. He opens the information. He gives us opportunities to share. He gives us a different life. This is what Paul is saying. We, we, he says specifically Satan is going to blind them, 
but they also have the flesh that blinds them because you know, the flesh doesn't want to hear either. But he says, when God's light shines. Now, Paul is definitely probably thinking here about when God's literal light shined on him and knocked him off his, off his, off his horse and on the way to Damascus. But he says, God's light shines. And we think about somebody like uh, Stephen who's being stoned and looks up and says, I see the Lord standing. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, you know, sees the light, sees Jesus while he's being stoned. And I don't think he felt a stone after he saw Jesus. His eyes were on Jesus, you know, and then he died. You know, and I don't think he felt anything after that point because his mind was all focused on, on Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming him home. And so we see this in, in and then verse five, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, and ourselves, his servant. In other words, saying, I'm not trying to make myself look good. All I'm doing is preaching Jesus. And this is one of the marks of a true servant of God. They, they want to talk about Jesus. They want to promote him. And every once in a while, we, we, we meet people or we know people or even some of, a lot of the televangelists seem to be trying to promote themselves oftentimes more than Jesus. And this is what Paul's saying. I'm not, I'm not here saying, look at me, I'm, I'm Paul. You know, I'm Paul, listen to me. He's saying, I'm putting Jesus up. Paul's saying, I'm not preaching myself. I'm not lifting myself up. I'm not saying I'm the, I'm the greatest thing that's ever hit this town. He goes, I'm just lifting up Jesus. And he had the problem with those who said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. And the very spiritual goes, I'm of Jesus, you know. Uh, which was probably the closest one to what she should have been, but you know, but he was saying, don't raise up the individual. And what I've said is, you know, if you can't learn from whoever's teaching the class or the Bible study or even standing behind the pulpit at that time, if they're if they actually are a person of God, then you've got a problem. You know, because you can't and you know, I've been to churches where if the pastor was out of town, half the church didn't come to church. And that's sad. And that's the way it should not be that way. You know, the pastor leaves town, it should be just as many people there as if he wasn't, you know, as if he was going to be there, because it's not the pastor you should be going to go here. It should be the word of God being delivered that you're going to go here. Now, some pastors are better than others. I know that, you know, some teachers are better than others, and I know that. But I have also learned that if they're really honestly trying to preach God's word and teach God's word, I'll learn something. It may not be the greatest truth, but I'll learn something out of that because the Holy Spirit is the one that's teaching through them. And this is the important thing for us. And Paul's saying, you know, we come to lift up Jesus, not ourselves. You know, Paul would not have had these great big uh, road signs out there. Paul's coming to town. Come here, Paul. You know, uh, it would not have been his way of doing things because he says, I want to lift up Jesus <laughs> and Jesus crucified. And uh, verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our heart to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in, a, in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's going, God. And then in case they didn't really want to understand who God was, the one who actually created light in the first place, okay, and he's, he's going all the way back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he commanded the light, and the light divided the dark. And goes, that God, the God, who, the God who actually started all the very first light, he has shown light into our lives. And this is the greatest thing 
and I keep saying this over and over, the wonderful thing about serving God is he does all the work. And I love that. You know, I love that God is the one that does the work. He shines a light in our heart. He's the one that reveals glory and light here in Paul's mind is the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God gives us light. He, he's the one that helps us to understand spiritual things that we cannot understand spiritual things without the Holy Spirit giving us the life, giving us a new life to begin with, taking out the heart of stone, throwing it away, giving us a heart of flesh, coming in and living in us and saying, this is what the stuff means. And I love it. The, you know, and I've shared over and over, the greatest tool to understanding of the Bible is the Holy Spirit himself. He will tell us what it means. He will shed the light on it. He will open it up. And you're reading along, and all of a sudden, words jump off the page, and verses jump off the page, and, and you're going, wow, God, thank you. I needed that. A lot of people who cannot forgive, they hold on to their bitterness. And the sad thing is, really, that bitterness and unforgiveness will destroy our health. It will destroy our physical health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, and you know, in literally even our physical and it's not a good place to be, and yet the world can't let go of their, their hate because they don't know how to love and how to forgive because they don't know the God of love and forgiveness. And unfortunately, many Christians don't really know the, love of, you know, the God of love and forgiveness they, and hold on to their hate. And very sad place to be. Forgiveness is probably the greatest thing that we have as Christians just to forgive. Even before somebody asks for it, just forgive them. It doesn't really matter because ultimately, the scriptures teach us that all sin is against God, ultimately. Not against us, not against somebody else, but against God. David, David in Psalm 51 said, against you and you only have I sinned, God. And he was referring to his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. And, you know, those two events, he's saying, you know, God, I sinned against you. Okay, I murdered a man, I committed adultery with his wife, but it's you that I sinned against. And, you know, if we start really understanding that, it's going to change the way we deal with each other. It's going to change the way, because if I realize that all sin is against God, if somebody does something against me, it's really against God, and I just need to forgive them and get, you know, get over it and let God deal with it. And the one thing I learned about God is he is more than able to defend himself. He does not need me trying to defend him. He does not need me trying to make people pay their pay for their you know things they have done with me against me and just let God deal with it now that's not, not easy until you learn how to do it just like you were saying about separating the sin from the sinner people don't understand when I tell people let God be your defense you know if you just let God defend you God number one does things a lot worse than I would have even wanted to do to them and, you know, sometimes it scares me to let God be my defense because I've watched people get hurt. You know, I've watched, you know, with other people when somebody has suffered greatly because they attacked a pastor or attacked somebody, you know, viciously who didn't deserve it, and then watch God come out in defense of that person and see their life, you know, see that person's life being torn apart because they just won't repent. You know, so I've learned over the years just relax in God. Just rest in God and let God take care of the things going on. 
Because usually when we try to defend ourselves, the old adage of where there's smoke, there's fire, and you start, you start fanning all that smoke around and people go, there's gotta be a fire somewhere in all, this, in all these accusations. Look how much, and if you just sit back, people then go like, is this person crazy? You know, they're saying all these bad things about them, but they don't tend to stick after, you know, in the long run. And God moves in your defense. And it is wonderful. You know, we see this in so many places in the scripture. God moves in defense when people seek him. And, you know, this is what Paul did so many times. He just came into town. He preached God's word. He got chased out of that town and went to the next town where he stayed around for, for a year or two getting a church started. It didn't bother him one way or the other. And then when he left town, the Judaizers would come in and try to ruin his church. And trying to bring them into legalism that he had been teaching them not to get into. And so we see here this darkness, this veil that's being drawn over people's eyes. And, and Paul is saying, let God be that light. Let him give you the knowledge, that perfect, deep knowledge of God, which comes through the Holy Spirit, that, he, that God shines that light into us. And when he gets it there, it's wonderful. And like I said this morning, the act of maturity is to respond to God quickly and not have to fight with him for, for a long period of time. And I never want to be a stumbling block for anybody. I just want to let God work on somebody. I want to lift Jesus up. That may or may not be a stumbling block because some people are going to consider that a stumbling block, and I can't help that one. But I don't want my actions to be stumbling blocks for people. And the key to this is being able to respond quickly to God. When God says something, you know, we go, okay, God, had one very recently where God says, I want you to do something. You know, God asked me a question, and I'm immediately answer, okay, God, what's it going to cost me? <laughs> and I didn't argue with him at all. It's like, okay, God, yeah, I said that. Yes, I believe it. So what, <laughs> what do you want me to do now? <laughs> you know, I don't usually answer quite that fast and that easy, but I'm getting much better. I don't want to argue with God anymore. I'm getting to a place where it's just not worth it arguing with him because I've realized over my life he always wins. Always. And so it's much easier just to surrender and say, God, you know, okay, all right, I blew it. What do you want me to do to fix it? Or, okay, God, yes, I did. I said I believe that. So, okay, what's it, what's it going to cost? Because God's always testing us. Do we really believe what, we've, what we believe? And he's going to say, okay, you know, put your money where your mouth is. You said this, you know. Go do it. And uh, you know, that's a wonderful thing. And that's why I, he's also so gentle when he does these things. You know, even when he, you know, first he'll tell us to do something. And if we don't do it, he'll put a little bit of pressure on us. And if we still don't do it, the pressure will just keep getting bigger until eventually we're going to do what he wants or he's going to take us home. One or the other, he's going to win. And we just need to really say, God, thank you. <laughs> I just want to help me learn to just give up. And that's what I want to do. I would love to be able to do it perfectly all the time, and it's not going to happen, but hopefully I get better. I don't fight with them for long periods of time. And, uh, and I want to see our people do that. And you know, the one thing I love about this church is we've got so many people that are growing spiritually, that are just amazingly growing for, with God. And I love watching that here. Well, I get to just be instructor. I'm just teaching the word, so it's God doing the work. I just get to be the one teaching. I understand, and I know that I'm a part of what's going on here. You know, and I know that God could have used anybody to do it. You know, and I do take and I do take that very solemnly that I'm lifting up God's word and people are responding. 
but it really is God who's doing it in the long run. And, you know, and I don't say that to be humble. It is God, literally, because his word is being lifted up. Well, all I try to do is be faithfully lift up God's word. And you know, I, I hope that that's what's being done because people are responding and, and we're seeing lives turned around all the time in this church. All right, verse seven. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are already delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. All right, so here we have him going on. He goes, we have this treasure. What treasure? The light of God and the knowledge of God. So the light of God, the knowledge of God lives in us. And this is what he says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, our physical body. God literally dwells in there with all of his knowledge, all of his truth. And, you know, it makes it very special when we think about that. You know, I am not just a physical being. I have got spirit and I've got God living in me. And because he lives in me, he changes me. And this is the wonderful thing I keep bringing out, you know, when we talk about this, you know, God changes us. We are just enveloped in him and he just endues himself into us and we are changed. And it's a wonderful thing when we just surrender. We just surrender and let him live. And then he lives out. And we, you know, and we see this so many times when all of a sudden we're being loving and forgiving to somebody and we're going, hold it, I never would have done that before. You know, that person deserves to be, to be punished. And I, was, I would make sure, you know, uh, I was taught the idea, you know, don't get mad, get even, you know, with people. And that's not God's way. That's the world's way. And it's, you know, so when you don't try to get even with people, it really kind of makes people wonder, you know, what, what, you know, it kind of makes them really wonder, when are you going to try to get back at me? Because they're always expecting you to get back at them. And all you're doing is showing them God's love. You know, God's love, his forgiveness. And, you know, God does that with us as Christians. He forgives us. He puts it under the blood and says, I don't remember it anymore. It's totally gone, and we're sitting there, you know, until we mature a little bit. All right, God, when, when are you going to drop the hammer? When are, you, when are you going to make me pay for what I've been doing? And, you know, and I've heard that from some of our kids at times when we're being nice to them and we give them things. Like, all right, when are you going to ask for something in return? We're not. We're, we're showing you God's love just as God showed us his love. We're showing you God's love. And we're not looking to get from you. We're not looking to expect from you. One of the reasons we don't talk about tithes and offerings in here is because we're not looking for people to give out of guilt or out of obligation. I want people to give because they want to give from your heart. You know, uh, not because the plate passes around and it's in your hand so you feel like you gotta throw a dollar or a few cents in or something. So that's my goal is to just say, this is what we want from God. We want to just have people love him for himself. Not from obligation, not for any other purpose. And this is what he's saying. We've got a treasure in us. 
we have a treasure in us that the excellency of the power may be of God. And that literally means God dwells in us. And I love it. You know, when I can do nothing without Christ, I, you know, but in Christ I can do all things. And he dwells in us. You know, and God is such a gentleman. If we want to try to do something ourselves, he'll stand back, uh, back out of the way and say, okay, go make a mess out of everything and I'll, I'll just stand back here. But if we let him do the work, he'll say, okay, you just sit down now and let me <laughs> take care of all of this. But he is a gentleman. If we really want to take care of it of ourselves, he say, okay, you, know, you really want to defend yourself? You really want to take care of this? You know, be my guest. You know, I, I have a better plan for you. Uh, and we sometimes stubbornly go in and try to make somebody pay for what they did. We're going to make sure they get <laughs> do things our way. And this is one of the things I try to help parents understand. All we can do is point our children in the direction they're supposed to go. Yeah. We are not responsible for what our children do. And, you know, I went through this process when my kids got older and started making, a couple of them made bad decisions, and I'm sitting there, okay, what did I do wrong? Yeah, well, we all do it. It's human nature. And I very quickly came to the conclusion of, yes, I made lots of mistakes. But I tried to do the best I could at the time that I was doing it, and, and I'm not responsible for what they decided to do. Very opposite of what psychology today will tell us, that, you know, well, just blame everything on your parents. If they had done everything right, you wouldn't be the way you are. That's Satan speaking, and that's not God's truth. God says every individual is accountable for their own actions. Now, yes, we may influence it. We may, we may give them bad examples. We may, we may not be the best parent in the world, but they are still responsible for their actions. And I've seen it happen over the years that the best parents out there doing everything right, bringing their kids to church, teaching them at home, end up with kids who go off the wrong direction. I've also seen it with terrible, awful parents that end up with very godly kids. Not adult, you know, not adults later on, but godly kids. Because each person is responsible for their own decisions. Yes, it's easier to have a godly parent to make godly decisions, but you're still responsible for how you react. And, you know, we've got to understand, you know, we did the best we could. Even if we made mistakes, and we did, hopefully we did the best we could, and even if we didn't, that person is still responsible for their, their, uh, you know, their responses to everything. And this is what Paul is saying. We have power in us. The excellency of God's power dwells in us if we just let him take care of it. You know, it's real easy to know what you're supposed to do and be able to tell others what they should probably do, but not doing it yourself. And of course, that means you're a hypocrite and nobody's going to listen to you when you're telling them, especially family who know that you're not following God at that point. Uh, but, you know, we have God in us and not us. And then I, then I love what Paul says, we are troubled on every side, but not to, distressed. Now, this word for troubled literally is pressured. We're pressured on every side but not distressed, not crushed by the, by the pressure. And this is the way Christians are. We get hammered from all directions, okay? Our own flesh is coming up against us, which we have to battle our own flesh. And well, actually, we shouldn't battle our own flesh. We should let it be crucified. 
and, but yet we'll sit there and battle it more often than not. We've got the world battling against us for all of our decisions. Then every once in a while, we've had Satan and his demonic forces giving us a hard time. And the crazy thing is God lets them do it. <laughs> and that's what he's saying here. We're troubled on all sides, and yet we're not crushed by those troubles. We are perplexed. <laughs> we, we don't know what's going on. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're not totally made useless. And this is something that's very interesting, you know, perplexed, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do it, and yet we're not in despair. We're not utterly, you know, without hope because God is our hope. And this is what, you know, Paul's playing, you know, in the Greek it's some plays on words because the words are so close to each other. So in, little, in English it doesn't quite sound as the way it does in the Greek. We're persecuted, which are harassed and troubled, but not forsaken. God will never leave our side. And you know, this is the one that I keep talking about. When our eyes are focused on God, all these things are very true. You know, we can walk through the middle of the greatest storms and trials in our life if our eyes were on God and not even notice that we've walked through a storm. And we kind of look back and go, wow, a lot's happened to me this last week. I didn't, you know, God, did all that stuff really happen? <laughs> and not really notice it? because our eyes were focused on, on Jesus and God. Peter, when he got out of the boat in the middle of the storm, was walking on water as long as his eyes were on God. The next verse says, he noticed the waves. And at that point, he probably realized, I can't, I can't walk on water. What am I doing out here on this water? And he started sinking. And we do the same thing. We usually, when our eyes are on God, we're walking above the storms, and then all of a sudden, we kind of look, take our eyes off God and look at the storm and go, hold it. There's a lot going on in my life. I can't, I, can't, I can't be walking above the storm. And we start sinking. And this is what Paul's saying. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Okay, we're laid low, but we don't, end up, we don't end up destroyed. And this is Paul you know, laying out in, in a very straightforward way. Lots of bad things happen to us, but God is on our side. And if God's on our side, we will be victorious. And it's so critical that we look to God and we say, God, I want you. I want to be victorious. I want to follow you. Then he goes, always bearing in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And this takes us to Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. My flesh is always being crucified while I'm alive. The only problem is it doesn't like to die. <laughs> Our flesh likes to just stay on that cross. Well, actually, it wants to get off the cross, and sometimes we help it get off the cross, and God has to put it back on the cross. <laughs> and, you know, but when we let it die, God's life is shown out. And the word for life here is zoe life, which refers to eternal life. Mm -hmm. Not just bios life, but zoe, real life. And he goes, our flesh is dead, so that his life will come out in us. And when God's life shines out of us, and it says it's made manifest, then people look at us and say, now that's what a Christian's supposed to be like. And, you know, and when I talk to people all the time about this, there are always people looking at us. And you said it earlier, you don't want to be a stumbling block from people because you know that people are looking at you. 
you know, and sometimes we don't know how many people are looking at us. You know, uh, there's times when I've walked across the prison and I've had prisoners come up to me and go, why are you always happy? Why are you always smiling? You know, I don't know that I always smile, but apparently I smile enough that most people think that, I, that, that I'm smiling, that I'm always that way. You know, you're always smiling, but I don't blame or not. Well, obviously it's, a, it's enough for them to notice, and, you know, and I love having that question because now all of a sudden I can tell them all about Jesus <laughs> because they open the door. They want to know why I'm in a good mood. Our good, you know, Jesus shines out of us, and people notice it. And this is something, you know, there's been a lot of songs and everything that there's always somebody usually aimed at fathers or mothers. You know, your kids are always looking at you. But it's not just our kids who are looking at us. It's everybody who knows we're a Christian. And if we've done our job right, that's all of our neighbors and all of our friends. And they're going to look at us and they're going to say either, now that's how a Christian's supposed to be or what a terrible example of a Christian they are. But, you know... I've heard people go, well, nobody's looking at me, and I'm going, more people are looking at you than you are aware. Unless you're not telling people that you're a Christian at all, people are looking at you. Mm-hmm. you know, your neighbors are looking at you and wondering where you go to every Sunday morning at, you know, when you go to church or, or one Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever night you go to church. They're looking at you and saying, when do they go every Sunday? Hopefully they know. <laughs> you know but you know, they're always looking at you. And they're looking at your, your life and saying, how is this person different? You know, there's a house down the street from me. The police are at their house at least three or four times a week. That's not me. That's not, I hope they're not Christians. <laughs> I'm sure they're not. Because, but, but, you know, I'm going, I'm, I hope they're not Christians because I wouldn't want the police at my house every other night, every third night. Because people go, wow, what kind of Christian is that? You know, and this is what he's saying. Our light shines and people will notice. And it's not us that are shining, it's Jesus shining out of us if we're living our life correctly. Otherwise, we're just going to be a hypocrite. The stumbling block that you were talking about, you know, where say one thing and end up doing another. And that's not showing Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 11, for we are, for we have, for we which live are always delivered unto the death of, for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in you, but life in, worketh in us, but life in you. So he's saying God comes in, he crucifies our flesh, and then he gets to shine out. And that's the wonderful thing, and this is why sometimes you'll know when you meet a Christian, because you'll just see God shining out of them. You'll see them in situations where the flesh would be reacting, and you're going, I think that person's a Christian. And, you know, it doesn't happen to me all the time, but often enough then I go, okay, there's certain people I just know that they're a Christian. Not because they're in church all the time, but just the spirit coming out of them, the, the love that they have of God. And then there's other people, when they say they're a Christian, you're going, okay, well, you say you are, I'll, you know, but I don't, I'm not sensing God coming out of you. And that doesn't mean they're not. It just means God's not, strong enough and killed enough of their flesh for him to, to shine out. And there's other people you go, that's a Christian. You know, that really is a Christian. You can know. You know, you know, you know and you know, I, I talk about this a lot. When we get together as Christians, do we talk about God at all during our time? And that doesn't mean every moment of our time has to be talking about God. But if you spend an hour or two with somebody and God never comes up, 
the Bible never comes up, you're going to go, how important is God for, with you? And anybody spending time with me knows that we're going to talk about God at some place. You know, we're going to, we're, God's going to come into the conversation, what God says, you know. And you can understand, even if they don't specifically talk about God, the book of Esther doesn't use God's name, but they glorify God everywhere in, in the book. You know, pray for me, you know, you know, have a fast because I'm getting ready to do something dangerous. You know, and we go through there and we see God being lifted up. We don't see his name and don't see his word, but we see him being lifted up all over the place. And, you know, this can be true of us as we go along. You know, when somebody starts gossiping, you know, we really shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be talking this way. You know, technically, I've just talked about God. I put God's standard in this situation, and I didn't have to say, God says don't do this. You know, the individual knows, well, we're Christians, we're not supposed, yeah, you're right, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, you know we, we need to be careful about what we're doing, how we're saying, what we're saying to each other. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, God said, <laughs> you know, in, in, in verse such and such, it says, you know, we don't necessarily need to be doing all of that, but it becomes very obvious that we're talking about God's standards. And, you know, this is what he's saying. We bring out this life, and again, this is Zoe life, that, that eternal, abundant life that God gives his children. You know, we don't just have the bios life. You know, I'm, I'm alive. I'm physically alive. And, you know, before we become a Christian, we have bios life. We're, we are alive. We have a, a soul in us, but our spirit is dead because we're born with a dead spirit within us. We become a Christian, we get that second birth, and the Spirit is given life in us, and now we understand God. We start understanding spiritual things that we could not begin to understand before. And that Spirit comes in, and God says, now you've got, now you've got the way to understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Now you, now you and I can have a relationship because it's Spirit on Spirit, not flesh on, and Spirit. And before we're saved, we have a real relationship to the world. We, we can deal with the world's things. We have no problem with what's going on in the world. We really don't have much problem with sin unless it directly affects us. You know, uh, well, you know, you're a thief. Stay out of my house and we'll be okay, you know. We need to be careful because the flesh allows the flesh, and the flesh wants to do wrong anyway, so it's not going to judge too harshly unless it affects you. But the Spirit comes in and says, now you need to be different. You're going to shine out God's life. You're going to try to be living the way you're supposed to, for, for better or worse. <laughs> and you're going to live the way God wants you to live as much as possible. Why? Because he crucifies the flesh and he gives us a spirit to, that wants to seek after him. Then we can follow in, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in the ways of righteousness. He, he makes me lay down be. You know, in you know, in fields, he provides the food. He lays us by, puts us by still waters, and says, "I'm going to protect you." You know what? I I say that a lot of times because I I think about now everybody knows it knows it. And I think when they said that, "Lord is my shepherd, does shepherd," you know, they just rumble. Mm -hmm. But do they really ever read it like or say, "The Lord is my shepherd"? Probably and not. I think of that. What is a shepherd? What does he do? I asked someone that on him. I said, say it for me. So what is my shepherd? And you know, and I said, now say it slow. Read it. 
You know, that's what I said about this morning's memory, ver you know, this month, well, the next two months because it's so long. I learned it so long ago that it rattles off sometimes without much thought on it. And, you know, it's like I memorized Galatians 2.20, you know, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live according to the faith of Christ. I learned that so long ago, and when I first learned it, it meant nothing to me. It was just a verse. You know, nice verse, you know, you know, God gives me strength because he crucifies my flesh. But, you know, the older I get, the more that verse is meaning to, has meaning to me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know, and it's just like you say, you learn these things, and they're just words for so long, sometimes powerful words, and, you know, sometimes very valuable words. But sometimes it takes life experience to really make the verse come alive. Which is why oftentimes when we sing these hymns or even occasionally, you know, the choruses that we sing, I'll, I'll come out and I'll just point out some phrase that just stands out. Because there are some of them that are very powerful and, and, you know, we're in the middle of singing. We're just, we're just singing the words and not necessarily thinking about the words we're singing are. And this is so critical. And like you say, you know, Psalm 23 is one that people just rattle off without really thinking about what it means to have a shepherd and what it means to have God really care for us. Because most people don't really truly believe that God cares for them. You know, even Christians. You know, I got everything I got on my own. I went out and I worked hard for everything I have, and usually that's not a true statement either. But you know, I went out and I earned my week's paycheck, you know, and I'm gonna use it the way I want because I did all the work. And one of the things I've told people is if you're using the word I a lot, you've got a problem to begin with, no matter what it is. <laughs> you know, and even with pastors, look at the church that I have built and all the people that I have done. Now, pastor, you've got a problem. If you think it's you, you've got a problem. And now, yes, we have a very important part. We get to teach the word. We get to minister. We get to be the example. But it's not us that does it. It's God who does it through us, you know, in all of us, whether it's a family you know, if you've had a very successful run with your family and everybody's grown up nice, it's not you who did it. It's God in you that managed to do it. Now, you may have made a lot of good decisions and right decisions as well, but it's still God who did it. And, you know, we've got to recognize God gives us the gifts and ability to do the work that we did. God gives us the power to do what it is. He gives us the health to do what it is. Jesus didn't take things all that personally on. Because a lot of times it's not really aimed at us anyway. It's aimed at God in us. When we're trying to help somebody, they're, they're actually going against God. And you know, that's why I say when we realize that everything ultimately is against God, it makes it a lot easier to take care of things. You know, my job is really simple. I lift up Jesus. I get to lift up his word. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us and that you are our protector. You are the one that cares for us and that you are the light in our life. And we just thank you and ask you to go with us as we go about our business. In Jesus' name, amen.